Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. have a Bible with you. We are in the book of Ruth this morning, first chapter. Ruth comes after Judges, before 1 Samuel, and it's in the Old Testament. Ruth, this is the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. For you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, please be seated. So at this point, uh, I assume many of you are familiar with 
the series that we are in. The series is called uh, What If, and the idea of this series is uh, there's this road that we are on, and the road has constant uh, forks, constant divisions, constant whys in the road. And now each of these intersections, each of these whys, we are to choose the path of faith because in front of us is always the choice against faith, the choice for something other than faith, for something that would lead us from faithfulness, that would lead us from growing in the Lord. And so we have the title, What If?, because we're asking the question in these different passages of Scripture, what if you chose that path? What if you chose the path of faith? The idea is that these stories illustrate for us what is the outcome of each of these familiar intersections, familiar whys in the road. So as we've gone through this series, we've looked at facing indifference. We've looked at facing gratification. Last week, we looked at facing uh, envy. And this week, we are looking at the why in the road that comes in the form of trials. We're going to talk about facing trials. To live is to face trials. Trials are hardships. Trials are adversities. Trials are are places where suddenly you're confronted with something that is overwhelming, that is uh, incredibly challenging, that requires you to do some deep uh, inventory of what you're going to do, how you're going to respond. Trials hit us in areas of health. Trials hit us in areas of our finances. Trials hit us in relationships, in our family. Trials are everywhere. And the reason that we call them trials, or the reason we think about them as trials from the scriptural perspective, is in the trial, how we face that trial is rendering a verdict. What is is our heart truly do? What does it truly rest on and rely upon in the trial? Trials test us and reveal what we trust in and what we uh, rely upon. The story of Ruth is perfect for talking about trials because Ruth is a story of trials. Chapter 1 is a horrifying set of deep hardships that descend upon this woman, Naomi. And yet, the book of Ruth is not ultimately a book that testifies to trials. The real message of the book of Ruth is God's incredible covenant loyalty. The story of Ruth is how God takes this woman, Naomi, out of this pit of despair, out of this deep trial, and brings her into fullness and blessing. It is a story of covenant loyalty. Covenant loyalty uh, may be a term that we don't use very often, but it is an essential understanding of who God is and how God operates. God covenants. He makes a promise with his people. He pledges that I will be your God. It is that promise that brought the uh, uh, Israelites out of Egypt. It's that promise that holds the people together. It's that promise that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. I will forgive you of your sins in Christ. The Hebrew word that is used again and again to, to, uh, to explain covenant loyalty is the word chesed. 
Chesed is a word that's it's very difficult to translate. I don't think there's a one-to-one correspondence with an English word, but it means his faithfulness. It means his steadfast love. It means his unending loyalty. It means his grace. It means his mercy. It's, it's all of this stuff mashed up. It's God being gracious to you. It's his covenant loyalty, his commitment to you. And in this story, we see that God's covenant loyalty is going to preserve a helpless widow and bring through the same story God's, the people's greatest king, King David. So, when facing trials, as we look at this story in this chapter, we're going to see the form that the, that the why takes. Most of the time. And, and I will confess that as I was preparing this sermon, I thought it was a different why than what I came to realize as I went through this passage. I, I thought this was about choosing security and choosing comfort versus choosing the, 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 the scary path of faith. But God had something else to reveal as we get deeper into the details. When we face trials... And as we look at the trials in this passage, we are going to see that the why that is being decided upon is, am I going to trust my common sense or am I going to trust God's covenant loyalty? Now, here's why I don't like that. Many of you know my background. I'm an engineer. I like the math. I like the formula. I like to work out the answer and get a calculation and say it's black and white. I love common sense. I love logic. It has delivered me again and again and again. And I know that I am speaking to a room of professionals that many of you live by the numbers, live by common sense. Your careers have been successful because you have found yourself to be astute at common sense. And yet, what this passage is going to show us is that when facing trials, the path of faith calls us to trust God more than our common sense. To trust God more than what is most natural to how you deal with things what has been proven most successful in your problem solving, to yet trust God more. As we go through this passage, the question that that we have to have in our mind is, am I choosing the path of faith, or am I a resolute person on the path of common sense? Because here's the great shock. They are not the same. You may be here walking steadfastly, trenchantly down the path of common sense and think you are on the path of faith. But this passage will tell us, no, you are not. The only path of faith, the only path that is the path of faith is the path that trusts God more than our common sense. It's the path where we say, my common sense is not ultimate. I choose against common sense 
when it comes to trusting God at times. That's challenging. And so as we go through this passage, I believe it, it's going to present to us three questions to ask in trials to identify where our trust lies. Does it lie in our common sense? Or does it lie in his covenant loyalty? Like I said, I did not want this why in the road. But as we go through this passage, it is clearly there. So the first question regards circumstances. When we look at our circumstances, here's the question I want you to ask. Do they belong to luck? Or do they belong to the Lord? When you look at just the different stuff that you end up in in this world, the, 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 the life that you live most of the time, is it in this category that we're going to call luck, and I'm going to define it, or is it in this category of belonging to the Lord? Now here we're going to look at the first five verses of Ruth. And to set the context for Ruth, uh, verse 1 does that very well. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man in Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So we are being told by the author that this story happens in the time of the judges. Now we've been using the uh, acronym CASKET to remember how the Old Testament story fits together. C stands for creation. A stands for Abraham, the story of the patriarchs. S stands for Sinai, that is, God's giving the people the law, and it begins basically Exodus 1, and it ends in the middle of 1 Samuel. K stands for the period of the kings, and that begins with Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then the division into the separate kingdoms, which then falls apart dramatically through disobedience and idolatry, and brings God's people into the period of the exile, where they are sent to Assyria or into Babylon. And then finally, T is temple period, where God's people are brought back after exile to rebuild the temple. Well, as we talk about the judges, we are talking about that period that's denoted S, Sinai. This is the period in the history of Israel where God rules his people directly through the keeping of the law. He gives the law in, uh, in Sinai, and then the people take, uh, uh, conquer the land through following him, and they live in the land under obedience. But the period of judges is this period of increasing disobedience. And as disobedience to God's law comes, God sends some form of, of bad guy, some form of general to, 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 to uh, harry the people and bring them back to seeking the Lord. And there's this cycle of disobedience, uh, punishment, and repentance that goes through the story of Judges. And that is the story that we, uh, that is the period that we find ourselves in the book of Ruth. They are in that time of the Judges, a time of, of growing unfaithfulness, a time where God is constantly having to bring a, a, a person to wake them up through oppression and then send a deliverer, a judge, a savior to bring them back. Well, as we look at Ruth, we're not looking at, a, at an individual that's causing oppression, but we are looking at the word famine. There is famine during the time of the judges that is affecting this family, Eli Melech, his two sons, and his wife. Famine. Not enough food. We're going hungry. We can't 
supply what we need. We're, we're destitute. We're being crushed. The storehouses are nearly empty. This is a trial. This is a real trial. Where am I going to get my food? And so this man, Eli Melech, who lives in the town of Bethlehem with his two sons and Naomi, he looks at this situation. I can't feed my family. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly destitute. I need to do something. And so he takes his family from Bethlehem to go into the land of Moab for food. Eli Melech, he's just fallen into a stretch of bad luck. Crops didn't produce. The land hasn't had rain. It's been a very difficult time, and now the food is, is nearly gone. It's a, it's a stretch of really bad luck. So he puts together a plan to care for his family. He's caring for his family. He says, I've got to feed my family, and he goes to Moab where there's food, where there's been rains. That's reasonable, right? That's totally reasonable. Is there anyone in this room that would say, Eli Malik, you, you shouldn't do that? That's not, that's not appropriate way of thinking. No, this is automatic. Eli Malik is using good common sense. I got to go where the food is. I got to solve this problem. Well, good common sense is really the virtue that had taken over in the, in the period of the judges. You will find in the period of the judges this phrase again and again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what Eli Melech is doing. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. What's wrong with that? This. Eli was part of the covenant people. He was living in Bethlehem because he had been brought there by promise. He had been given that by gift. He had been told, this is the land of, of milk and honey. This is what I have given you as your Lord. This is my salvation to you. He is to be living as a covenant member. He is to be living his life under God's lordship. Now here's the thing about, about God's lordship to the people of Israel. All of life was under God's lordship. We look at the book of Deuteronomy and we recognize that even the conditions of famine are owed to God. We read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. You see, he's supposed to know, Eli Malik is supposed to know, he and his family is supposed to know, I am in the land that the Lord has promised and has provided, but he has provided it and promised it to a people that obey him. And how do I know if I'm in a place of disobedience? I will see some of these ill conditions described by my covenant Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
And just as all of the, 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 the period of the judges, all of these calamities come along, it was to bring God's people to repentance, to coming back to the Lord. You see, he's not having bad luck. That's, that's what he should recognize. This isn't bad luck. This is my covenant Lord speaking through the clouds, speaking through the storehouses, something to me. But he doesn't listen because this is bad luck. This is a bad circumstance. His common sense turns him away from God and sends him to Moab. Now, Moab is a, a terrible place to run to from, from what we know about Moab in the Scriptures. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, God says this, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. The Moabites were a sworn enemy to the Israelites. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in their history that I, I don't have time to get into, but the Moabite land, the, the land of Moab, was not the promised land. It was quite the opposite. It was the land that God said is forever cursed. But common sense says they have food. What is this promise if I can't feed my family? So common sense says, go to Moab. John Yeo says this of this, of this passage. Eli Malik stood at a crossroads. He could stay in Bethlehem and trust God to provide or seek greener pastures elsewhere. Elimelech's choice should not be viewed as a neutral or indifferent decision, especially in the eyes of God. In effect, it was paramount to denying the divine covenant promise made to Abraham that God would give the land of Canaan to his descendants. In short, his acting by common sense was him acting faithlessly. He is not there asking the question, what, what do I need to know from this, Lord? What are you trying to say to me, Lord? How can I, how can I come to you, Lord, and, 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 and is there something I need to repent of? Is there something I need to understand? He is not going into his faith to deal with this trial. He is going into his common sense, and that is taking him to Moab. It is taking him into the land of faithlessness. Now, what about us? What about us? How do we look at our circumstances? How do we describe the vast majority of the things that happen to us in our day-to-day -day lives? Do we use the word coincidence, accident, chance? That's just nature. That's due to technology. That's science. That's just luck or randomness. You see, we use these words to describe a vast majority of the life that we live. We, we ascribe some cause to them, wh whether they be these, these uh, metaphysical ideas of luck or chance or whether they be you know, technology or whatever. But once we start thinking of the life that we are living as just luck of the draw or as, as accident or as coincidence or as random or as the product of, of laws that we have learned in our science textbooks or is something that technology figures out? Once we do that, those things we don't look 
for God in. Mysteriously, they don't belong to God anymore. We just don't think of them that way. There was a, a story of a couple missionaries that were in Indonesia, and they were praying about whether they should or shouldn't do something very important. So the, the Indonesian uh, natives got together with these, uh, Europe, or these Western missionaries, and they, 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 they are praying, and they pray this thing in their prayer. Lord, give us a sign if you don't want us to do this thing. And then all of a sudden, there was a big clap of thunder. And all the Indonesians got up, and they left the room. And the, the Westerners are still there praying. Why? Because the Indonesians believed that the lightning and the thunder belonged to God. They were willing to say, that's God's answer. Now, I don't know if they're right or they're not, but for us in our Western minds, we have bracketed out the thunderclap from possibly being an answer in our prayer. And that is because we have taken a large swath of life and put it in this category of luck. It's stuff that doesn't belong to God. It belongs to me. It's my problem. It's my solution. It's my common sense I rely on because this isn't God. Do you see what I'm saying? This computing. We understand the thunder, so it can't be God. So recognize this. Being faithless only requires us to omit God's lordship in our circumstances. Once you say what I'm facing, what's going on, what's happening in my world, it's because of X, Y, and Z that doesn't belong to God, then you don't need God to deal with X, Y, and Z, and you won't go to God to deal with X, Y, and Z. Do your circumstances belong to luck or do they belong to the Lord? Once we think they belong to luck, then the right thing to do is to do what seems right in our own eyes. Moab's nice. What's wrong with Moab? I, I encounter this all the time. We, we have our, our food pantry at this church, and I don't want to overgeneralize. There are people that come to this food pantry in, in desperate need and openness to the Lord, but there are a lot of people that are just coming in because life's been wrong to them. And they just they want a bag of food, and they want to go on their way. There is no examination of whether God has anything to do in, 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 in these circumstances. Is, is God saying something? Is God trying to wake you up? Has God brought you to a point where you're crossing the threshold of a church for something more than a bag of food? But see, it's all bad luck. It's all life coming down rotten and wrong. There's no place for them to say in their, in their understanding of existence and reality, this could be God. I don't, I'm not saying that God is punishing these people, but they are not connecting their circumstances to anything about God. And when we fail to do that, we can't hear God. So here's what I want us to stress before we leave this first point. God's lordship is over all. It's over every circumstance. It's over everything that's happening to you. There is nothing accidental. There is nothing coincidental. There is nothing that's luck in your life. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says this, the lot, the dice, is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. He is saying even the people that get the jackpot at the casino, it is not accidental. It comes through God's sovereignty. Now, I'm not saying that we can easily compute what God is trying to say in each of these things. All I am trying to argue for and make you understand is that everything in your life is under God's sovereignty. It happens because God has determined it should happen. And in everything we do, the question should be, Lord, what are you trying to say and do in my life? Let's be more uh, complete. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, pitch for Wednesday night, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We are making a faithless, we, we, are, we are absolutely betraying our faith if we are saying most of the things in my life has nothing to do with my faith. When we are told in Scripture that all things happen according to the counsel of his will. Does our circumstance belong to luck or does it belong to the Lord? Now, it requires wisdom to understand what God is saying in these different things. I'm not trying to tell you that every answer is that you're under discipline. Sometimes it's, it's a call to greater faith. But the point is to, to live by faith requires us to see God's sovereignty over all and understanding all of life by faith. That is the only way that this verse, which is a comfort to so many of us, can be true. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's even, Elamelech had to read a really long book called Deuteronomy to understand all of this. You need one verse, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Why? Because all things are under God's control. It's not luck. Second, look at our solutions. Do we rely upon mere logic or upon the Lord's leading? So Eli Melech's common sense has resulted in disaster. They are now in Moab. Their, their sons have married Moabite women. And then all of the men die. We have uh, Eli Melech dead. We have uh, Milon dead and Chilion dead. They're all dead. And we have this woman, Naomi, who is childless and a widow with two daughters-in-laws who are also childless and widows. They are in a terrible predicament. I want us to hear from uh, uh, a commentator, Daniel Block, to describe their situation. In the world in which they all live, security and well-being were directly dependent upon a link with some male. The death of a husband meant the loss of one's economic support base 
and the severing of connection to the kinship structures. Widowhood often meant inevitable alienation and destitution. They have no security. They have no support. They are just going to go into abject poverty and alienation, and they are going to die. That is what's going to happen because of the common sense that has led them into this situation. Naomi reasons that it's, just, it's time to go back to Bethlehem. This is, this, is, this is really bad. But he tells her daughters, I want you to go back to Moab. And she argues with them and uses impeccable logic. Let's listen again to verses 9 through 13. Uh, Naomi says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. Even if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Here's what she's saying. If you are going to survive in this world, you need a husband. That's the only way you're going to live. That's logical. That's the way the world was set up here. I can't give you a son. All my sons are dead. I would have to give birth to a new son, and I'm over the hill. There isn't going to be a son, and even if there was a son, it would be 20 years before that son could do anything to help you. You need to get away from me because also, and most importantly, it is pretty clear I'm a lot of trouble. God is not happy with me, and if you want to be with me, you're going to get that stink on you. So go back to Moab. Who can argue with that logic? That is fine logic. It is incontrovertible. It's impeccable. Go back to Moab. This is where logic leads. Logic treats life as a chess game. You guys ever play chess? Chess is just this board with all these little decisions that you logically make, and your goal is to try and, and, and get the king. And that's how you win. But here's the thing. Logic is, uh, or life is like a, a chess game. You're playing chess, and as the game goes on, less and less choices can be made. And, certain, and if you're playing somebody that's better than you, you find yourself in a place where your choices become pretty bleak. They become pretty bad. There isn't a solution to win the game, and you know it. Pretty early on, if you have any skill at chess, you're losing this game. You are facing checkmate. And that is what happens if all we have to look at life is logic. We are on a chessboard, and we are headed towards checkmate. You want to know what checkmate is? It's the grave. Death is going to checkmate you. There's no move you can pull off. You have a dead table in front of you. And that's all logic is. Logic is trying to make this choice or this choice, but it's not going to stop the fact that checkmate is coming. You are headed to a grave. Are you aware of that? Have you woke up to the fact that there's a checkmate at the end of your life? 
And that is the life that relies on logic, the life that thinks I can outsmart, I can outwit, I can get through this with my, with my, uh, my cunning and intelligence. You have checkmate. Naomi's logic omits God's covenant loyalty. That is, that is the major error that she has. It is, it is locked tight, but it omits his chesed. It has omitted faith. And even though she refuses to look at it, it is there. Look back at verse 6. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now let's see if you've followed point one. How did she hear? How did she hear that the Lord had visited his people and given them food? She's in the land of Moab. There's not a lot of discourse between Moab and Judah. It was just an accident. She just kind of happened upon some news, and I'm just going to, you know, I guess I'll go that way. Was this an accident that she heard the Lord has given food to your people? No. This is God's covenant loyalty. This is God's hesed. It is God who brought that message to her ears, calling Naomi Come home. You don't belong in Moab. I have food for you. Come home. You see, even in Naomi's depth of despair, even in her hopeless situation, God's covenant loyalty is working. By grace alone, he is giving a disobedient people new food in the land. And by grace alone, he is calling Naomi, come home. God's chesed, his covenant loyalty, doesn't desert. It comes for us even when we are hopeless and lost. It comes to us when we're checkmate. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. Logic is good. It is a gift. God has given us logic. The issue here is mere logic. Where the only way we think about things is according to our logic. It is a problem if our logic is not submitted to God, is not open to God. In that case, it will close us off from God. Logic that doesn't allow God in the equation promotes faithlessness. Beloved, don't let your logic blind you to the, to the Lord's leading. Never let the facts define what God can do or will do. Believe God is powerful, in control, present, and faithful every moment. That his covenant loyalty will not fail. Trust Romans 8.28 we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, even when logic dictates not to. With God, life is not checkmate. Gra the grave is not the end. Our confession says the tomb is empty. Even if 
the, the circumstances say, this is your last breath. God's covenant loyalty says, I will raise you again. In your solutions, do you rely upon mere logic or upon the Lord's leading, the Lord who can say to death, you will go no further, rise again. What do you rely upon? Now third, endurance. Do we set our limits or do we profess our loyalty? After all of this, Orpah, the the second young widow, is convinced. Naomi, you are right. Your logic is unarguable. Going further is foolish. And so she takes her common sense and she goes back home. She did the reasonable thing. But you know what happens? She never tastes God's bread in the promised land. She probably lived a life where she never knew what she was missing. But she never tasted God's bread in the promised land. Her limits were reached. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to solve my problems, and I'm going home. The path of common sense has limits. With common sense as our guide, we will only go as far as we can see is reasonable. And the end of that, to be ruled by common sense, is to become a cynical person. Cynicism is the attribute of the person living on common sense and common sense alone. Beloved, if you only follow God to the extent that you can make sense of him, You are not following God. You are following yourself. And that is the opposite of faith. Orpah may have had a nice life, but she misses out on God. And she's headed to checkmate without him. And that is the end of those who choose to make their common sense and their logic their ultimate guide. You may give yourself a nice life, but it will be a life that ultimately doesn't know God and is headed for a scary checkmate. But Ruth, Ruth goes a different way. Ruth takes the path of faith, and she has some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture attributed to her. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Ruth looks at the way back, and she forsakes it entirely, even though it makes so much sense. She does not set limits. Instead, she comes with unconditional loyalty. I pledge, I commit myself, I throw myself in entirely with you. If you're on a sinking ship, I'm sinking at the same moment. This is faith. 
This is faith. It's not just mental assent. It's not just what I grasp, what I can understand. It's trusting with the heart. It's the way our kids trust us. They don't understand everything we're doing, but they trust with the heart that the dad who loves me is is seeing stuff I can't see, and so I follow. This is faith, not just in here, but it's trust from the heart. It's not what is seen. It's trusting in what can't be seen. The definition of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How do we have that conviction? You are given scripture to know him. And when you know that he is the one who gives life to the dead, he is the one whose covenant loyalty you profess to and stick with and swear to, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the hardship, no matter the bleakness. Beloved, covenant loyalty did not fail Ruth. It did not fail Naomi. Even in their despair, he brings them back. Ruth receives a husband, a kinsman redeemer by God's grace. Ruth receives a child, a child who becomes the grandfather of King David. And ultimately, she becomes an ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who saves the world. Do you see what God's covenant loyalty has done? It has taken a foreigner, a Moabite, who we were told in Deuteronomy, has no stake in the kingdom of God and is so unconditional and so relentless that it takes that woman in the, in the depths of poverty and despondency and makes her a cherished part of his family line bringing Jesus into the world. That is his covenant loyalty. We are called to trust in it. Don't set limits. Profess your loyalty. Beloved, You will face trials that your logic won't be able to solve. But God's covenant loyalty has no limits. His covenant loyalty will not fail. It will deliver. It will restore. And it will bless no matter how bleak and trying our circumstances may get. The question for you is, Are you choosing the path of faith? Are you choosing to lean on the Lord more than your own common sense? Beloved, do not let the path of common sense deny you the path that walks securely in God's covenant loyalty. These are the words for all who choose the path of faith. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.